found on the web for what is the plural of Goliath. Goliath. Oh, we're Goliath, baby boy. Kirk Ginson's on pariah, baby boy. I work out with a tire, baby boy. I wonder who can lift it higher, baby boy. That was Uniform On from the Lonely Island and the Bash Brothers Experience. My name is Jason Tavers. The reason why that's the song I picked to front the first episode of the In the Gap podcast is because the first guest on the In the Gap podcast is Mike Oz from Yahoo Sports. Mike grew up in the Bay Area during the Bash Brothers era. He's got some cool stories to tell about watching McGuire and Jose Canseco and Ricky Hedrison play. He's also got some cool stories to tell about his show on Yahoo Sports, the old baseball card show where he has actors and athletes and coaches come on. They open up old packs. They tell some great stories. We also talked to Mike about uh, baseball culture, kind of trying to bring the personalities, push them to the forefront. But it's deeper than that. We talk about sneaker culture. We talk about baseball cards, obviously. Talk about baseball movies and uh, comedy, Chappelle. It's a wide-ranging conversation. That's what the idea of this show is, to talk about people that have an interest in baseball, but also kind of talk about where baseball and culture kind of collide and we're going to veer a little into some other places it's going to be a long-form conversation anyway you can catch mike on twitter at mike oz again you can find the old baseball card show on yahoo sports for now i'm going to shut up and actually just let the episode play you can listen to me and mike talk about all that stuff and then i'll check back in at the end so if i had put mr show as number one that's it for the, the sketch comedy thing i was just i was just kidding i mean i was hoping it was Chappelle. okay you know i had people give me heat over that well, I see, and I'm not like, I'm not like a super nerd on any of that stuff, but I just don't see how something could be better than Chappelle. Like, like it's... I think, I, I, I look back at Chappelle, I was talking to Jeff Passan about this the other day, because Jeff Passan and I have the, like, like, we just will text Chappelle things to each other, like, because that's like, when we were, when we were like friends here in Fresno, it was like peak Chappelle era. And I was like, man, like, we were lucky that, like, we had, like, we were just living in that moment of, like, you know, Chappelle every week. And, like, all the, like, I still remember the time they did the, the Kanye Common song, like, the food song for the first time, which nobody had ever heard before. And they came out and did it, like, in a kitchen on Chappelle's show. And you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, what, what, what power does this Dave Chappelle guy have to do all of these things? It's hilarious. And, like, I think in a way it's almost kind of criminal that, like, we just think of like, oh, the Rick James get or the Prince get. Like, there's so much good stuff, dude. Like, yeah, there is. Me and Jeff, yeah. me and Jeff love the uh, the Mad Bro World. That's just the one, dude. Like, I'll just send him Mad Bro World stuff or haters, you know, Tiger Haters Ball. Oh yeah, 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 with uh, what's his name? Oh, what's it? Christian Finnegan. Christian Finnegan, yeah, that one. Yeah, getting stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, that was that was really good. Damn it, I should have so, put that as the. Damn it, I should have put that as the. Uh, as the sketch for it, it was between. It was between. Uh, I was thinking about like the race draft. It was the. Uh, I just yeah. felt like you, I felt you just got to end with with the uh, with the Prince and the, the Rick James thing. It was such an amazing. And Charlie Murphy was such a great storyteller. You do. But, I mean, it's 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 the right it's the right thing. But I mean, it's sort of like this is how I look at it, right? Like, what's the best what's the best Belle Duvall song? It's Poison, right? But yeah. probably not my favorite Belle Duvall song, right? Like, because because I. You, you hear Poison all the time. Like, give me the word to the Mother remix because, you know, I don't hear that all the time. Uh, so that's kind of how I, you know, look at like Chappelle. Of course, like Rick James is the, that's the thing, you know, that's the, it's whatever. But um, there, there was so much other, there was so much other gold. So. No, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I, the, uh, the Chappelle thing is interesting because um, I had written a thing a couple years ago and it got 
really bad, like a bad response. Like basically, it was like when he had done like the first specials back, and he went heavy on like the like the Me Too stuff. And I was like, came at it from a perspective of you reach such a large audience and you are so revered, and it's like that shit is like maybe like leave that stuff on the sidelines to maximize like your impact. And people did not see it coming from a place of like. Like, I do love Chappelle. I've loved Chappelle for, for a long time. Uh, again, I don't agree with every joke he says. Some stuff does rub me the wrong way. Like, I saw him live a few years ago uh, and, you know, again, loved it. And then, you know, a couple of jokes were like, mm, all right, okay, I'll sit through it. No big deal. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, like, the worst response to anything I've ever had in my life. But it's not the same. But it's also not the same anymore. Like, I mean, I've seen him, I don't know, five or six times now. I saw him, like, when I interviewed him. Uh, the first time and he came to Fresno, it was... Was that like recent like, or was that like... No, no, this is like, this is season one Chappelle show. Like, Chappelle show just kind of started taking off. Yeah. And it was, he was fine. I mean, he was, you know, good and the show was good and um, then he came back the next year and it was like, you know, he was far too famous to interview and it was, and I, I don't think we're unique in this sense, but like, he was visibly upset that everyone was just in the crowd yelling, I'm Rick James, bitch, and mm-hmm. like wouldn't let him do his, his stuff, and he just like got mad and, and like didn't really finish the show because nobody would let him do anything, and um, then, uh, you know, like, I don't know, I just don't think that he's ever, when he came back, it was just never the same, you know, it was it, it, like, he's done different stuff, but like, he lost that. It's sharper now, it's, there's definitely a little more anger, I think, behind it. Um, but I mean, I can't blame, I mean, the guy became, I think people did not fully understand the situation, did not necessarily respect the situation, and he did become kind of a joke for like a minute, uh, and I think unfairly, because anything, I mean, specifically anything that deals with like, people just don't understand when a celebrity says no, yeah. which is such a weird thing, because if you put it in like the, the, you know, if you put it through the lens of our regular lives, anybody would like, it's a job, it's a paycheck, it's family, like priorities and then if a celebrity has those priorities, it's like, what the fuck you? What the hell? Why would you say? Because maybe everybody wants to put themselves uh, in their shoes. But yeah, what I what I what I wrote, I meant uh, quite quite deeply was the idea that uh, he really is someone who I think is, and I don't know that I I realized this at, at, back when I wrote that thing. Uh, I think the most important thing to him when he's on that stage is being perfect. Uh, and I think there are some other comics that are like that. I think Seinfeld is like that. Uh, and maybe that they're not the cuddliest people uh yeah. off stage or or you know even on stage sometimes but i think it's that important to them and it's like i feel a lot, a lot of respect for that like i said i don't agree with everything he says but i get that he is trying to funny his way or smart his way out of it essentially you know what i mean like because i mean you look at some of these issues it's like everybody everybody who tries fails trying to find the right note with you know with, with a lot of this stuff and a lot of people just don't try so it's it's interesting though, but yeah, I, I agree. I think he, I, he has definitely changed a little. I always felt like it was to me the difference was, and I, you know, I'm not like an expert in this stuff or anything, but like I looked at it like he was just more fun, mm-hmm. and then then it became like I feel like there's a line when anybody when anybody becomes like sort of larger than than what they're doing that like there's this sort of responsibility that you have to you know live up to whatever level it is and then maybe maybe it's the perfectionist thing but like i see i feel like that's the case a lot with like music right like i feel like eminem was great until eminem 
all the Eminem songs were about Eminem being Eminem and what it's like to be Eminem. And then you're like, oh man, this, he's just too far, like up his own ass a little bit, you know. And like, like the the persona has become bigger than the product or the the, the art or whatever you want to call it. And with Chappelle, I, to me, it always felt like it was fun and and like we're gonna say this stuff and like it's dangerous because I don't necessarily care if you get offended um and now I, f- I feel like a lot of it is more like i feel like i have to th- there is this persona and i have to i have to like live up to it i have to you know carry this sort of not burden but um you know something and i feel like there's a lot of people that like once they get once they reach a certain level and don't know how to deal with it or you know can't sort of figure out what the next thing is and I don't know. I think about a lot of music where I think about like there's certain artists that you can't just you can't just put out an album that was as good as your last album or sounds like your last album. Like it has to be, you know. Like I don't know. I think about like with Justin Timberlake, right? Like just put out another, you know, album with Timberland and the Neptunes or whatever. That sounds cool. Just do that. But it's like no, I have to every time it has to be some sort of thing that dictates what music's gonna sound like after me. And then he goes into the woods and then yeah, we, and, and then and we have to deal like, with that. Hey, and and I feel like sometimes it's like just do it, you know, don't think about it so much. I know that's hard to say. Like I'm not a, I'm I'm obviously not an artist. I'm just a dude. But um, no, I think it resonates. I think, but I think in ge- I mean in general, again, it's endlessly fascinating to me to watch how careers evolve and the choices and the strategies. And uh, I find myself asking those mm-hmm. questions probably more than I should because you never. It's hard to get a good answer on those. Uh, because a lot of people don't want to necessarily give in to the idea that they're really, you know, kind of plotting these things out. But it's always when somebody opens up and talks about it, it's always fascinating to me because it's to me it's like, like I would definitely be like, like in my career when I do like a feature, like I I'd like to look ahead and I'm like, all right, I want to do this kind of thing, I want to do this kind of thing, I want to do this kind of thing. Like it's not like straight up like I would turn another shit down, but it's like, you know, how can I keep? Because again, there's like an, not necessarily I don't necessarily want to say the word ambition, but it's just like I want to keep pushing the rock up the hill. Uh, so to me, I always—I mean, do you feel that way? Um, does that I, end? I, I guess is my question. I'm, see, am I'm more—I'm more. Am like, I ever gonna get off that road? I'm more like I want to just create something new that's dope. You know, yeah. like I want to do a different thing. That's—I'm not—I'm not of like the ilk of like how do I how do I keep refining this thing to make it like the perfect thing? It's like okay, what have we learned from that thing, and how can we create a new thing that is also good? No, definitely. Um, when it comes to baseball, uh, what are A's are we talking about? Yeah, 86 uh, All right. when I got into baseball. So I was six years old for Conseco and then, you know, just just from there. So, um, you know, that sort of late 80s, early 90s, uh, it, was a, it was a good era of, um, of A's baseball. And then just for me as someone who, you know, was discovering baseball, I think it was a really good era for for a lot of stuff. Not only was it, you know, Conseco and McGuire, but um, there's a lot of other, you know, great players and, and whether, whether it's, you know, Wade Boggs and Don Mattingly and Eric Davis and there's Bo Jackson, of course. Um, so I, I don't know. I really enjoyed as a kid, you know, that, that era of baseball. I have like the opposite experience because I started rooting for the Yankees in like 90. So like last place, absolutely terrible mattingly on the dl with a busted back never the same again like and then work that up into like you know the mid 90s when they actually started winning but you just got it like right 
like right there. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous. Well, so that, and then I also, um, you know, getting into football at that time. Mm. I was, I was, an, I was a 49er fan, um, which I always, to, I always have to point out to people that the Raiders were not in Oakland yeah. when I was a kid. So like, it wasn't like I was, you know, cherry picking winning teams. Um, so the two of those things, it was just like the best, you know, the best era that, that you could have for, for both. And yeah, I mean, it, it got, it got markably bad, um, after that. And, you know, I think that the A's in particular, it, it's always, it, it's funny to me more, less about the wins and losses and more about like the A's that I first experienced. It was like, these people are, are superheroes, you know, Conseco and McGuire and like, you know, they're, they're unstoppable and whatever. And now that you think of the A's as sort of this, like, you know, the, the, the David versus Goliath thing. And they're always the, they're always the David. They're always like the little engine that could, but Mm -hmm. you know, my, my version of the A's as kids was like, they were the, they were the super team. And so that's always kind of been been interesting to me that like, that, that was not my, uh, you know, first impression of them, but that's sort of, you know, what, what, what they are now. See, you also had the, you see, man, you've had an embarrassment of riches because you also had like the, what is it? 91, 92 warriors, like Mitch Richmond's, like that era too. So, so, so I did not like the Warriors. Oh, okay. All right. Not, and not because, well, I I just like Michael Jordan. So. All right. See, man, we are really on the same wavelength because I'm from Jersey and it was Joe Montana, 49ers, and Michael Jordan basketball, like to the point where I was getting like fights with kids in the schoolyard about the Knicks. So <laughs> it's just it's hard to it's hard to you know uh, to resist that era that, that you know there was some magic going on with both both those teams, honestly. Yeah, that's the one thing that I that I feel bad about, like in the sense that I don't know, I I, I take fandom seriously, I guess, and mm-hmm. so I've never, even when the Warriors got good, I've always been like, you know, I sorry, I was never a Warriors fan. I, I would feel bad about claiming that now versus, uh, you know, when they were so bad, and, and like my dad loved the Warriors, so I sort of, you know, would would know what was going on, and I would follow the teams, and you know, I mean, the run TMC teams were fun and. Uh, you know, Tim Hardaway was great to watch, but it was always like, dude, Michael Jordan. And and I, I guess I, I look at it like this: if you're gonna jump on the bandwagon for one person, like, cool, Michael Jordan. That's yeah. that, that's the you know, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm weird. I've stuck with the Bulls through all the lean years, still, like, and the 49ers through, like, man, like Tim Rattay and Gio, what was it, Giovanni Carmazzi as quarterback, and like all those guys. Like, I stuck through. Uh, but baseball, for some reason. Uh, I like declared myself a free agent a couple times. Like I was a Yankees fan from like '90 till like whenever it was that they let Cano go for Ellsbury, and I was like, I can't. It's just it was it, it felt it felt weird, and I was tired of all the just buying winners and stuff. And so I started from the Orioles and had a hell of a time. That's and then, been great for you, yeah. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Well, Buck Showalter <laughs> when I was a kid, Buck Showalter was like everything. So I was like, oh, whatever. You know, he was always a fun quote. Always seemed like a fun guy. So I'll you know. I'll follow them, and, and I was there actually for the last game that he managed there, and Adam Jones' last game and everything, and went to Camden Yards a bunch, fell in love with it. But uh, with everything they're doing now, I'm like, yeah, maybe maybe I'll look around again. So I was thinking about, like, I've had people whisper in my ear about the Mets, I've had thoughts about going back to the Yankees, but I consider myself a free agent right now. So um, like so, the, there's always like the White Sox, the White Sox seem like a, White Sox do seem like, 
But I want to get it on. I don't want to necessarily get on the ground floor with something. But there is the chaos of the Mets that is kind. I mean, somebody being chased by a you know by a, by a wild boar, and just all the chaos that comes with the Mets. There is some appeal there, and also just growing up in the area. You hate and, yourself. I mean, I feel like. That's, I mean, that's like I a, mean, only only the normal amounts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it may, that may change over the next few months. But uh, I, I grew up around, you know, the mystique of the 86 Mets and everything. I was I was four or five at the time, but I remember my uncle being into it and stuff and collecting, like, Newsdays and stuff and seeing, like, going through and seeing, like, the covers of the papers and stuff from, like, 86. Um, and Jeff Perlman's uh, Bad Guys One book was, like, one of my favorite, like, sports books ever. Uh, so there's a fascination there. Um, and then, yeah, the, just the need to, to create and feel pain is also, I think, <laughs> is also, I think, part of it. So let me – so with the with the 80s – like, and uh, and obviously we were talking on Twitter before about like you know briefly about sketch comedy and stuff. So, Bash Brothers, the the, the Sandberg Lonely Island thing, that must have been heaven for you, or or did that feel a little too close? No, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I mean, I uh, I always marvel at those guys and um, all the, all the various types of things they're able to do that you know somehow identify with me in, in different ways. And I probably should give Andy Sandberg a little more props that I do in terms of like how, how funny he is because um, I don't know like I now that you put me on the spot with it I'm like oh yeah he, there's that <laughs> and then there's just there's so many things that I've that I've that, that you know identifies with me in, in a lot of different ways but that, that one was great man I mean that one was like my, my cousin who um, was he's probably like you know my number one like sports fan alongside me growing up we went to all the A's games and Niners games and you know we used to Worked together in my uh, our grandpa's shop, this motor shop, and we had the we had that. I mean, for I'm talking like into the 2000s, we had the Bash Brothers poster, the one the one you're talking about with them sitting on the car, and then we had the you know we had a Niners poster back there. So we were all on the same wavelength. So the first thing that that happened when that dropped, it was just my cousin just texting me about all this stuff. Um, it, I mean, it definitely brings back that that thing. The thing with those guys though is like. I I think for a lot of my cousin still loves them. For me, they lost the luster. Like I I can't with with a good heart and mind, especially Canseco, be like, oh yeah, this guy this guy's great, you know, like uh, like he's 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 lost a little bit of it. McGuire, like I don't know. I have some personal experiences with McGuire where I was like, it made it hard for me to to, to root for him anymore. Um, I would love to have my old baseball cards, and I've tried numerous times. I don't know. They, 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 that is the that sketch thing is like the right thing for them. Like make fun of them, you know, poke fun at them. I can I can get with that, but it's hard for me to review those guys, you know, in twenty twenty. I feel like Conseco was into it. I think he's actually done like a stage like appearance with them. I think, and I may be mistaken. I think McGuire was not feeling it. I don't remember exactly. I feel like he was not a hundred percent behind it. I don't. I don't uh, think he's feeling anything beyond <laughs> like I think that he. Just, just from my experience, again, like trying to get him on the show, um, I, I don't think he wants to go back at all. Like, I think mm-hmm. he just, even when he was like coaching, you know, like I think he just wanted to sort of be, hey, I'm a baseball coach now, and you know, like all that stuff that happens in the past, and um, you know, whereas Canseco, I think, wants every bit of the the attention that comes with it. Is that? I mean, that's got to be tough though to have. I mean. How do you do you carry uh, those like idle kind of feelings for players? Like it's got to be weird. I mean, I know like what I do. Like if I talk to somebody who I like revere, I, over time, I've, the 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 fan thing has gone away. 
Like, do you still feel like do you still feel like starstruck when you when you talk to a player that like you grew up watching? Uh, not really. You know, like before I did this, I was a music writer at a newspaper, and back sort of in a in a different era before like you know blogs and the internet took over everything, and and like you could still just if somebody was rolling through town, like you could still get that interview with them and you know talk to them and i think that beat a lot of it out of me you know Mm -hmm. just like yeah um i remember being being nervous for all people and i actually ended up doing baseball cards with them but um jazzy jeff like Mm. for whatever i was like i was like really like sort of nervous for jazzy jeff and but i mean i've i've interviewed like some really cool people chappelle um i've talked to you know like a ton of like cool old wrestlers and um, but I don't know. I, th- I think it was just sort of one of those reputation things, and so now that kind of got beat out of me. And now when I go do baseball card stuff, like it's it's not really a, a big deal. I think if like if we were to get Griffey or Bond, I don't know that I'd be nervous in like a fan perspective. I'd more be nervous that I didn't want to mess it up. You know, I didn't want to like I wouldn't want it to be bad. You know, I'd hope it would be it could be as good as it as it could. I was at a uh, a Trent Thunder game uh, like five, six, seven years ago, and Gene Michael was there, and I've been doing this for, like, ten years, and I've done, by that point, I, I, I'd done, like, a fair amount of interviews, 50, 60 interviews, probably, and, you know, that, and again, same thing, kind of been beaten out by that point, and I folded, like, a cheap suit, <laughs> going up to this guy, like, there was a quiver, like, a quiver in my voice, and I don't know where or what that was. Uh, it was very weird, and then I, I went to, and I don't do autographs. I don't really, it's not, I don't, I don't really feel anything for it. But uh, Mattingly was at a show up here like two years ago, and I went and met him. And again, a little bit of that quiver, and like, you know, it was like, oh my god, what the hell is this? But like, my dog is named after him, so there, there's you definitely, you there's definitely a connection. But what you said about McGuire is interesting because uh, a few days ago I was on Twitter and I was just whatever, uh, and uh, I think it was actually a tweet with you. Uh, and I mentioned uh, something about Don Mattingly, and somebody had responded that, you know, I guess they'd had, like, a not-great experience or something. They didn't go into too much detail, and that's their experience. That's fine. But it was like, man, I don't want to hear that. I don't want <laughs> It's like, I don't want to. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my guy. Like, I'm, I'm that's, again, the dog. I can't change the dog's name. She's 11. Uh, it, it would be a bit much uh, to, to do that. Part of it for me, too, is just that I, I think the show itself is something to me that, like, I, I – was never intended to be to do a video thing or be on camera or any of that stuff. So, so I was always more nervous about I think that than I was talking to someone. Like I could talk to people, yeah. Um, but but it's more of like the oh I'm on, we're doing this on camera. This is being recorded. So I was always more nervous about that part I think than I was about the hey let's talk to this person. Um, and in retrospect, I think the things that I beat myself myself up over are. You know, those, those times that I'm thinking too much about, like, the show and, like, all the, all the sausage making that goes into the show. Like, mm-hmm. I need to move this quicker or I need to, like, slow this down. You know, those kind of things. And then sometimes I just miss, like, I'm like, oh, I should have said that, but I, I, I was thinking too much about the show. And so I think I get nervous about that instead of the actual interviews. But then I think that helps because, like, I don't know, I, I think what we've been able to accomplish with the show is, like, a lot of free-flowing conversations or, or things, moments that the people feel comfortable. And, and I think part of that is just the baseball cards kind of you know, bring them back to a time where it's not like, hey, you're a famous person and, and I'm just, you know, some dude with a pack of baseball cards. But it's like, you know, hey, this is this communal experience about, like, what it's like to love baseball. And 
So I think maybe that's part of it, but yeah, I just I just have never been worried about that too much. But again, like if we get Griffey, then all bets are off. <laughs> what uh, what is the experience with the show? Do you guys do you get like because obviously yeah, the fruitful conversation is I think I think a big part of its charm, and obviously there's no way to really script that because the cards are coming out and it's kind of just random. Is there like much of like a preamble, like a pre-interview process that where you get to you know kind of just feel them out, just kind of you know relax into it a little bit? How does that work? Um, there's there's not a ton, honestly, like. Most of the time we're doing these, it's like, cool, we have to, we have to do this and we, it's going to take 10 minutes and we have exactly 10 minutes. Um, sort of a funny story that can go back to Don Mattingly. We did the Don Mattingly episode, it was at the winter meetings two years ago, um, and he uh, was there and he kind of was into it and having fun, and then we had like, I think we had like four back to back, and they were just one after the other, you know, and... Um, the net, like two other people were waiting. I think it was Rocco Baldelli and then Brad Ausmus maybe. And like they were just waiting, and they and they were also interested in watching Don Madden the open baseball cards, you know. <laughs> um, but we, you know, most of the time I think it's just this really quick um, changeover because we're. Um, I think as you know, part of how this stuff works sometimes is like you wait all day, and then you want to talk to somebody, and then or like three people, and they all call you at the same time, or they all want to do something at the same time, and you're like. Yep. Man, I've been sitting here for four hours. Why couldn't we have just done, done that before? Um, but I think that's often that's often how it goes for us. So we do our best to just kind of be like, here's you know, here's what we're gonna do. We're open to baseball cards. We're gonna make a trade. You know, tell some stories. And uh, I think as as the show goes, too, part of it is like, you know, me trying to make sure that they're talking and they're sort of, you know, if I if I have to ask them questions to get them going, then I do. Or some people just talk and they don't need any cues and. So again, when I, those are the things I think about, like, okay, am I, is the person talking too much or are they, you know, how can I, how can I steer the conversation? I worry about more about that stuff than than I should. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Uh, I'm sure it's probably the number one question you get asked, but what is your own like card collection like? Like, is it just a ton of stuff or have you moved away from that a little? Um, I, I cleaned it out probably, I think when I was in college, um, I have a buddy who's like super duper baseball card collector. Shout out. My man Ben, he's, he's at Cardboard Icons on, on Twitter. Um, and so he, we became friends in college in the college newspaper. And as we sort of got to know each other, he, uh, I realized he's a big baseball card guy. And I hadn't been collecting cards at that point. But, you know, I had been, I had not been living at my parents' house anymore. But a lot of my stuff was still there. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I know I need to thin this out before, <laughs> you know, it just gets to be too much. So, I kind of was like, I would give him stuff and be like, hey man, just go through this and, you know, keep me, keep me with the good stuff. Um, I mean, I still have quite a bit of cards, but, um, I got rid of a lot of the, a lot of the junk. Um, so I have, you know, most of, I kept most of my sets that I felt like I put a lot of work into. Um, I, I, any, anything that I had like in binders that I sort of had felt like I curated, you know, like I get mm-hmm. those. Yeah. Um, and then I have, you know, boxes of good stuff. Lots of rookie cards and just other inserts or whatever that I th- that I think are cool, um, and that that's about what it is. And then I, I, th- I felt like I had kind of whittled it down, um, and where it was movable. It's kind of the same thing as like my music collection, right? Like, mm-hmm. although I haven't completely whittled that down yet, I, I need to. I would uh, hang on to the physical media right now. <laughs> I was well, just... but I kind of I kind of whittled all the the baseball cards down, just got rid of all the the junk, and I mean, dude, I, I'm I'm full on junk era, you know. It's it's 
86 tops, 87 tops, like all that stuff. And I mean, I still have quite a bit of it, but, um, now is it I, stars and like A's guys, like interesting cards, or is it just like all of it commons? Cause that was my favorite part. It was just learning. And it's weird now. Like when you guys do the show, I watch cause I watch religiously and like every people are pulling like Damon Berryhill or whatever, like guys that like, you know, like it's you know it's all those common guys. It's almost to the extent, uh, almost to an extent more than like you know the bigger name guys. What's what's your what, what was your uh, policy? I guess as a kid, did you collect everything or just like specifics? No, I tried to collect everything. I mean, I was I was trying to put together sets. Um, a, a lot of my early baseball card stuff was done with my grandma, um, or you know, a great deal of it. And my grandma was a big collector, so. She was like a completist type collector. So she want, you know, wanted to make sets and wanted to, to do that stuff. And then if we had extra, well, that just means let's just make another set. Like, let's, you know, let's just keep, <laughs> keep making sets. So I, I think I'm pretty sure I still have like three complete sets of 1986 tops that we made sitting in my garage. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't think that I purged a lot of that until I was, again, in probably like in my 20s. And obviously there was there was players I wanted, but we were mostly, you know, going for um, the sets and then you know A's people. And at that when I was a kid, it was you know taking those cards and trying to get them autographed, and you know which which we had I think fair amount of success compared to how hard it is today. But yeah, that was that was sort of what I was after. And then like Griffey came, I was a little older when Griffey came. Obviously, I was around for like probably I had maybe had some cards around like A Rod, Frank Thomas years. Mm. We definitely had some of those Frank, those good Frank Thomas cards, and that was about it. That's about where it, where it ended. Um, I shifted into basketball cards for a while. But I was really into Penny Hardaway, so I have a bunch of Penny Hardaway cards. I kind of checked out baseball cards around the insert uh, boom uh, in like the early '90s, but basketball cards I, I bought into that hardcore. Some of those were just pretty, man. Like Skybox, I remember like like a see-through background with some of those. Like back in the day, like like 97 98 like just like when the jordan bulls were like at their hot at their height and like all those cards it's, it's a really a really good uh a really good era are you into uh like throwbacks uh like you know jerseys hats anything like that um not, not a ton of like throwbacks necessarily there was there was probably i mean there was a remember when throwbacks were hot so this mm-hmm. is probably like what oh oh two oh three oh four like that, that that's that time right like mm-hmm. there was a while there where I had a couple different basketball jerseys and stuff, but in general, no, that's that's sort of not. Gotcha. I'm I feel still uh, very connected to my 12 and 13 year old self, so I constantly try to like reward that version of me, like that didn't get stuff, <laughs> yep. like like Air Jordans and stuff, like the like the like the 11s and stuff, like Ooh, or, man, well, yes. yeah. It was like a, when those came back out last year, I was like, all right, 250, it's a lot, but I'll do it. Uh, stuff like that, and uh, the, the retro, like the batting, like the Mitchell and Ness stuff, like the batting uh, practice jerseys and stuff, I find myself constantly drawn to. Like every, I check that site constantly, and I, I have a couple of them. I just constantly check to see what new ones are coming out. But uh, you got, I remember one of the episodes you had uh, a pretty cool Bo Jackson uh, T-shirt. Yes, uh, yes. On with him breaking the bat, that was that was a very cool thing. Yeah, I, I I tried to wear a lot of that stuff just for the show, just to you know keep it. I, I'm I am very retro too, so I I agree with you on. I, I did it a little earlier, but I like when I was a kid, my favorite Air Jordans, um, before when I, when I was younger, like when I didn't have money to buy my mm-hmm. own stuff. So like Space Jams, like I was able to buy my own. I was older, 
So, um, and I had a job, so I bought those. But when like Jordan Fours came out, I remember being like, "Oh man, Jordan Fours!" And the blue ones, for whatever reason, I like the blue ones because you didn't see them as much. So when they put out Jordan, they put out the military blue Jordan Fours, probably like I don't know, oh four, oh five, back when they first started doing retros. And like, no joke, man, I went, I stood in line. I got out there at like five a.m. And this is before like sneakers apps and stuff. Like, yeah. And I was like, but but I said the same thing that you said. I was like. You know, I couldn't do this when I was a kid. Now that I have the means, like, I owe it to, you know, nine-year-old me, ten-year-old. I think I was in fourth grade when this came out. Like, I owe myself <laughs> to, to go and, and get these. And so those, those are, like, really the one that I'm like, these are, these are it. And then um, I do have some, like, 11s and some other other various things I've gotten over the years. And, and But, like, that one time going to wait in line, I felt like I had to do it. Um, and at the same time, I would the thing I'd probably go for right now is, like, the, the half-zip starter part. Yeah, I, I would, I would get one of those. I had, um, I had a uh, with the Jordans, uh, with like the patent leather, like the black and white, like you know, spats looking kind of like Jordans. Uh, I was supposed to get them for uh, my birthday. Got into a fight with my sister. My mother shut it down, and then that started like a twenty-year like Ahab Moby Dick kind of thing with those shoes, where I would just track where is it coming out. Okay, no, missed out on that one. All right. <laughs> So when they came out, like, two years ago, I had, like, laptop, wife's laptop, tablet, cell phone, trying footlocker, foot action, all the apps, just trying to get on them. Everything was waitlisted, and then I somehow got, like, in on the Nike app, like, the day of release, like, ten minutes, nice. like, and I was like, oh, shit, it was, like, honestly, one of the best moments of my life, I can't even lie. Like, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have kids, but I imagine that's what it would feel like to have a child. It's probably not exactly the same thing. I, I I feel like some of the shows, some of the shoes that I would go after now are, are some of the different. Like I loved the um, there was these shoes that were like they were turf trainers. I think they were like Barry Sanders shoes with the they were they weren't high tops. They were like mids and they had the the velcro across the top. Those were cool. There was like the Dion shoes, but not the not the famous Dion shoes. They were called Air Missions, I think. Like there's some of those things that I would probably you know, go after more now than like a, you know, retro Jordan, just cause like, I feel like now they put out retro Jordans like all the time. Like I get the, every East Bay email I get, I think is like retro Jordans. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I keep looking at it and keep wondering, like, do I want to go up to like the next, like how much do I want to spend on the Jordans? But I feel the same way. Like I started looking at like some of like the old school, like remember the Kamikazes, like Reebok, like I think it was Sean Kemp or was it hypnosis? I forget which, which I think the Kamikaze was Shaq. Uh, and the hypnosis or hypnotic or something was with Sean Kemp, uh, but yeah, those are, uh, are are like next ones on my like uh, my hit list. But some I've got Griffies, little... you know, the Griffies yeah, those are good. Yeah, you know. Speaking, of just jumping back for a second because you're talking about you talked about McGuire, you talked about Seiko. I've not yet heard you uh, use the name Ricky Henderson, uh, who is, in my opinion, one of the greatest showmen uh, in baseball history. You have to be a Ricky fan, right? Oh, yeah, I was. I was. I'll tell you what, dude. I was a little bit nervous when we got Ricky for old baseball. Um, partially because it was, it was sort of like this, like this mythological, I, yes, it was, big, so, yeah. so what happened was we went in there and the A's would, had been great that day. They were doing a reunion, um, for the 89 A's and they had promised us Eckersley, Dave Stewart, and we're like, cool, you know, let's go. And then we had asked for Ricky and they're like, well, we'll see. And, um. We get we did the first two episodes and they were great, and then like, we'll try we'll try to bring Ricky. So we're just sitting there waiting, and then all of a sudden, like 
see Ricky coming over, and we're like, oh, shit, is he coming for us? Like, is he coming over here? <laughs> and then it was like, cool, Ricky's here, but he only has literally four minutes. We're like, oh, snap. So it, that that was the quickest episode we ever did. And, like, if you watch it, um, I didn't even go through my cards, really. I just went through there real quick and picked out one, and I was like, talk about this guy. And then we did a trade. But, like, he was super into it. Like, we could have – I think if, if under a different circumstance, he probably would have talked because he, he had some good stuff. And so that was one that, like, again, was sort of, like, seems kind of surreal just because, one, it's Ricky Henderson, and then just the situation we were in. And we're like, oh, snap, is he is he going over there? Is he coming here? Oh, he's coming to us. Oh, no um, so that was great. And then Ricky, like, uh, we had, so, like, he wasn't he wasn't my favorite just because, again, like, in Seiko Maguire, and then Ricky wasn't there at that point yet. Yeah. Um, but as as we as I got older, um, when we went to baseball games a lot, when I was again sort of that twelve to fifteen, that, that's when I remember starting to go on my own. And um, my grandpa had season tickets because he, he again he owned his business, and so he bought season tickets to just give to you know clients or whatever. And they were right sort of near the the foul pole in left field. So anytime that there, there was one summer specifically where we probably went like. You know, two or three times a week when they were in town, me and my cousin. And uh, so they were right in Ricky land. And any time that my grandpa would give them away, he'd just give us a ticket and we'd just jump on BART and, and go to the game. So we had a lot of time out there just kind of, you know, watching Ricky play. And um, The big thing that stands out to me about him is, like, I would love to see him exist in 2020 baseball. Just <laughs> yeah. Like, like, people act like some of these guys are, are you know, too flamboyant or, like, People would hate Ricky Henderson right now. And, like, he was, he was the best, man. Like, just all the swagger and the showmanship. And so and maybe that's the reason I don't have a problem with any of that stuff because I'm like, that's that's what Ricky Henderson was, man. And, and that's what, the, I mean, McGuire wasn't, but, I mean, Conseco was. And that's a lot of what that era of, of A's baseball was. Yeah, I never really understand the, uh, the hang-up there. Because uh, to me, like the greatest moment of my childhood was watching Don Mattingly go grab popcorn out of some kid's like you know, <laughs> out of some kid's popcorn bag like uh, on a foul ball like back in like whatever '94 I think it was. Uh, like watching it on TV, like I remember losing my mind. I was like 12 years old over that. Like any kind of like just yeah, stunt it, just flip it, whatever you got to do, just have fun with it. I don't I don't understand uh, the hangover with it because there was so much electricity uh, with Ricky and with other players even just you know so much personality. Uh, that I think the game still has, but it's like, I mean, Griffey even, you know, backwards hat. I mean, people forget how revolutionary that was when that happened, but it's still so weird that that was such a big deal. But, um, yeah, man, Ricky in 2020 would be amazing. He'd be the biggest Instagram star in baseball. He'd be, he would, oh, I think he'd own the game, honestly. I think, I think he would. But with the exception of the Steels, because, you know, everybody, you know, the Steels feels like a little, you know, people are still a little freaked out about, uh, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, risk risk averse thing i remember uh back with uh a couple years ago i was working on a thing every once in a while i read about baseball uh an article didn't unfortunately get off the ground but i was trying to do something i just like you know why the hundred steel season like needs to come back and just talking to a couple people and it was like i talked to skip schumacher Harold reynolds and like the the big thing was like it's just like people are too risk averse and i remember with the orioles uh villar like not last season but like the season before reading constantly people talking about he's reckless and all this stuff. And then you look at the percentage, it's like top, like stolen base percentage in the league or like second or third in the league. And he's still, it's like, what is like, you can't be a hundred percent. You got to take some risks. So yeah, I do wonder how Ricky would fare with that element of the game in, in 2020. I, I, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously that wouldn't happen, but I do feel like there's like like Acuna has a little bit of a little bit of Ricky in him. I feel like you know mm-hmm. that that like I can hit lead off and hit thirty homers and and you know do everything and and so I don't know. He's he's probably the person in the league that I feel like has the most of that like Ricky energy. But man, I mean, I, I, I you go back and you watch some Ricky highlights and you're like, this guy was. And even even before even like earlier on than what what I know like the the you know earlier Ricky um, mm-hmm. he had swag man and I, I I don't know if it's just because like now that the internet is everywhere and YouTube and social media and all these things and you know back then like if you didn't see it you just didn't see it and you know there, I guess there was like a you know five percent chance maybe you, you ended up seeing that somewhere and now there's like you know you can find anything you want mm-hmm. so maybe that was it. But, dude, Ricky was a oh, different level. Absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember being like 12 years old in Little League, fat little kid, uh, no speed whatsoever, and I got like the like the green like like batting gloves, like the Mizunos <laughs> and stuff. And I'm on first base, and I'm like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna steal. I throw to first base, slide, and like dive head first, and I'm like 10 feet shy. Like I basically stumble <laughs> and then slid. And that was when I basically realized that I was never going to be Ricky Henderson, but nobody could be Ricky Henderson, obviously. But, uh, no, he's amazing. I read an oral history on uh, that play with, uh, like, Dale Barra uh, when it was, like, two runners, Bobby Meacham and Dale Barra, when they were both, like, against the White Sox in, like, 87 or something. Ricky was on the Yankees at the time, so they reached out to Ricky for an interview, and very clearly in the articles, like, Ricky Henderson uh, refused to do the interview. Ricky does not do interviews unless he's being paid, and I was like, that's legendary, even then, <laughs> even still. Like it's the, everything he does is just gold. So yeah, no. K- KRS one also. KRS one gave me that one once. Um, doesn't do interviews unless he's paid. But Ricky, so one of my favorite, and this is like predates sort of like you know the content era. But um, one of the early, one of the early videos we did before, actually we 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 had just started doing old baseball cards, and I, I go back and like man, we should have done it with Ricky. It was at the All Star game, so probably like 2016. And we did like a, we got Ricky and we just did, like, did you say this? Yes or no? And we just fed him like various things. And there was some that he got wrong that he actually said. And he's like, no, I don't think I said that. And like, no, dude, you said that. Well, he's yeah. denied the Olerud thing, right? I, I know, I know he's like denied the Olerud thing. He, he denied it in like the, he, did, he says, I, yes, that happened, but it was a joke. Ah. It, yeah, that, that was what he told me when we did the video at least. Cause he, we talked about that. We did a bunch of these, you know, things, and, and um, you know, we hit him with, like, the fake ones, like, so, or not, not, well, things he didn't say. We did, like, a Ricky Bobby, you know, if I'm not, if you're not first or last. I was like, no, I didn't say that. Uh, Shut like up. But, but yeah, like, we should go, I should go dig that out. I don't even know if it exists on the internet anymore, but that was one of my early, I felt like that was a great idea. I think Ricky should have, like, a retroactive trademark on if you're not first or last. I think that would, I think that would be very, very fitting. Um, so how are you, how are you, like, kind of, dealing with the lack of baseball right now, like just from a work standpoint and also just from like a sanity standpoint, like how are you keeping busy just in general? Um, you know, I think that we're, we're less tied into like news cycle, obviously. Yeah. I'm tired of, um, just personally the, and I think we've stopped doing it a little bit at, at, at Yahoo Sports, at least right at the time that we're talking about this right now, the, here's this report about like, what the season could look like. Yeah. Sort of contingencies. And I think we, we started to realize that there's just like a hundred of those. And, mm-hmm. you know, just because someone tweets about something doesn't mean that that's any more true than, 
anything else. Yeah. Um, I, I really started to get tired of those. I think we've we've tried to um, we've had to get more creative, and in in a lot of ways, like I like that because that's sort of where I think that um, I have the most fun. Um, you know, it's nice to have like sort of games going on every day to give you things to write about, but uh, you know, I, I I'm a I'm older. I'm like you know old school blog mm-hmm. world a little bit where. You know, it was about coming up with cool things and creative things, and, and not just like, hey, we got to write a 200 word post about this highlight so we can send out a mobile alert for it. And you know, like it was it was more like, oh, here's this thing that's happened. How how can we how can we write about that in a different way than every other site that's going to cover it? And so I feel like it's it's going a little bit back to that kind of stuff. Yeah, just looking backwards, I think yeah. is like I think that's I mean that's been a thing that I've done too is kind of look backwards. I've always tried to think of like. And I say this as someone who's also an editor sometimes, like the notion of, okay, what's the next level of that story? Like, how can we take that thing that happened and put a different spin on it that's unique to our site and our voice and, you know, whatever, whatever. And Big Leaks Do, back when we were Big Leaks Do, I think was one of the, you know, innovative sort of blogs that was doing that back when when I was just a, a reader and a fan of the site back before I, I you know, worked for uh, Yahoo Sports. And... You know, we've obviously gotten away from some of that, but, you know, I look back at, like, I remember one night, it was during the World Baseball Classic, and to me, this is, like, what my, my blog ethos is, right? Like, and it was, like, Fernando Rodney's hat had just gone to, like, a new level during the World Baseball Classic, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back through the years and find a picture of Fernando Rodney from every single year, and, and like, what was the year that his, his hat started to do that? And then just the trajectory of, like, you know... And like that's the kind of stuff that I think is, is fun. Um, and yeah, you gotta write the you gotta write the news stuff. But like, you know, I, I appreciate sort of the the pop culture stuff, the fun stuff. Um, and I think we've you know we've had to revert back to that a little bit because you know frankly there's there's not a ton of baseball games to give yeah. us you know other fodder. But um, it's probably gonna get frustrating at some point. But right now I'm kind of having fun just you know like not having to to worry about. You know, the news cycle all the time. Yeah, no, it's again, it's it's an interesting thing, but I think it's also, and honestly, I think it's good for the audience too to get a little bit of a look at, you know, some stuff that's maybe, you know, like you said, a little bit of a fresher thing, maybe a little bit more of a fun thing. It's you know, baseball in general, I think, uh, kind of suffers from the work a day news cycle more than any other sport because it just lasts so long and it's so constant. And it's every single day. There's ten games or eleven games, however many games. Uh, and it's just there's no time to really marinate or find something that's kind of worth, you know, a deeper exploration because you're just constantly like, OK, what's the next? OK, this person's injured. This person, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, totally. But, or yeah. or the, you know, just the split of the times of stuff like something will happen, you know, at night on the West Coast and then you wake up and, oh, man, there's there's a noon games, you know, on Wednesday or whatever it is. And the news cycle has moved on, you know, and whatever happened Tuesday night doesn't matter. And sometimes it's like, how do you figure out what's going to be the thing that that stays, you know, the, the thing that you're interested in? So it's kind of like gambling to some degree, like you, you're betting on this story and then you spend, I don't know, three or four hours doing something creative. And then, oh, Kurt Schilling tweeted something. That's that's the new cycle now. And, you know, so that, that kind of stuff, I think we, you know, been on the good side of and the, and the bad side of over the years. And I mean, it's just how the game goes, I guess. I'm sure Kurt's tweeting still. <laughs> well, he is, but you know, it's stuff right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you turn to like baseball movies and stuff like that? Like, are you like streaming any of that stuff or 
Any old favorites? I mean, we, we just did a... I didn't have to rewatch it, but we just did a debate. We have this new uh, kind of debatey sort of... It's called Boxed In. We, right. we argued Sandlot, and we argued Major League. So we did okay. that, you know, what's better. So we did that, um, but I, I didn't have to go back and rewatch it. Because I, I, I'm well aware of everything that happened in both those movies, and I could. Where do you Where do you stand? Major um, League. Major League. Major League. Okay, yeah, good. Not yeah, even, I, not would even. Add, I would add. I would add. I would add in the call, honestly. Yeah, not even. A, not even a question. I mean, Sandlot's. It, it's a fine. You know, like I'll watch it with my kids. Yeah. I love. It's fine. It's good. I like it. Uh, Major League is. I, I I think I said that. The Sandlot's a good movie. Major League is not even the best baseball movie of all time. It's probably the best sports movie of all time. Um, not even a, not even a question to me. But See, I would debate that. I would say Bull Durham, but Major League is probably the best like baseball movie. Like Bull Durham obviously has a few things going on. There's a love story in there. I just I find it to be a great movie. But yeah, I guess if you're just talking pound for pound baseball, and then I guess other things that maybe be in that like wheelhouse, like Moneyball and and. Uh, things along that nature but yeah I, I would say the major league for just specifically about the baseball side of it they got so much of it this work we're watching now it seems like a lot is, is space jam just because my kid loves it um, uh-huh. so yeah I, my my world of, of tv is pretty much dominated by by <laughs> children and um you know i have the occasional um if if, if it's like if you know nine o'clock do i have enough energy to like devote time to something serious or are we just gonna watch like you know junk or, or my wife and I uh, uh, watch a lot of like Golden Girls and Frasier and stuff, which oddly enough, like I, I have come to decide like in the last year or so that Frasier is actually quite funny. Um, I never watched Frasier before. <laughs> Frasier Frasier's quite good. Um, second time I've admitted that in the podcast, by the way. So do, <laughs> Not do with, exclusive. Do with Not it what you will. Yeah. Well. Um, but yeah, I, I I I don't know if I have time to invest in stuff. I like I just finished Ozark. Um, I don't have the time to, you know, do that all in a day. It took me, yeah. took me a couple of weeks, but um, you know, I, I'm I'm living, I live that world. Um, I don't I don't have the, I don't have the kid free existence to uh, not have to watch like Nickelodeon shows. <laughs> I uh, you know we were and we've been talking about this uh, at work also. It's a, a lot of people I think are gravitating towards like. And I most most of my streaming stuff. If it's not something for work specifically, if it's just pleasure streaming uh, like content, it's like before I crash like an hour and it's just on in the background. But I think a lot of people are just turning to like old favorites stuff like that, like rewatching The Office or like I said Frasier, uh, which is yeah definitely an old timer, like stuff like that. More than like even like that you were able to get through Ozark now is is impressive. We were talking about Devs and how that's like just it's great, it's fantastic, it's so heavy, and right now everything else feels so heavy that it's like I. Just want to feel nothing, but maybe a slight smile. I would watch, um, no joke, if it was just on all the time, and I feel like, I don't know why it isn't, uh, just the OG Law & Order, if it was just on all the time, I would, I would probably just turn that on every night at like 9 o'clock, just for you know, an hour and a half or whatever, and then go to sleep. And like, Law & Order is that thing that I, if it's on, like, I'll just turn that on and let it be on while I do whatever I'm doing, um, and, and I, I'm good with that. Um, so before we, we close out, I, I'm going to try and start like a tradition with these, since this is the first episode. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second and ask you, uh, if you could just save base, how would you save quote unquote, save baseball? Let's see, save baseball. 
Well, I, I correct think... answer, by the way, is bring back the Expos. That's the correct answer. <laughs> you can you can take a shot at whatever you like. I can take a number two. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm I believe in. I I think you got to mic up the players. Yeah. I think, I think you got to find a way, and obviously you're not going to be able to do it. You know, like the full game or you know every single moment. Um, but I think we saw in the spring training games we saw this year, especially with you know the Cubs had a great one. Uh, with with Rizzo and Bryant, like Alonzo was great. Yeah, if you can get them out there, just kind of chattering and and you know goofing off with each other, like it makes it so much more fun to watch. And like obviously, there's there's things you you can't do, but there has to be some sort of middle ground of like, you know, we're gonna do this from the first to the, the sixth inning, and then you know after that, yeah, you know we're just gonna depend on like that. Announcers and hope that the tension of the game is is good enough that we don't need you know players kind of commentating or being funny or whatever. But um, I I would think that you know with all the technology that we have and and maybe you know sort of the quarantine world and and having to learn how to do things that are not traditional and, and being okay with you know the quality not being 100% as good as it can be all the time. Like, maybe we accept some of those things and learn, like, okay, you know what? This is not going to be perfect when we implement this into baseball, but, like, everything doesn't have to be perfect anymore. Like, we've learned that we can get away with, you know, talking to people on Skype or, or yep. you know, web shows that are produced, you know, like, just at home now. And if we can accept the idea that, like, hey, you know what? We might have to, like, dump that microphone because a player, you know, is involved in something that's, like, serious and is not going to talk to us right now or whatever, then fine. But I, I, to me, that's the thing that I think could, could change the perception of baseball um, and get more people interested in it and be different than other sports because that baseball, in theory, could be the only sport that you could get something like that. Yeah, I agree. And Yeah, because the rhythms of baseball are, are just absolutely 100% perfect for, for that. And I agree with you completely. Uh, that's, like, answer 1A now. Uh, <laughs> next to the Expos, because yeah, it's it's well, it's, I'm the only person who's answered, so I, I mean, I have <laughs> that's to true. Be. That's very true. But I I I'm gonna basically put my thumb on the scale uh, and say that's like you know absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's a fantastic idea. I think you've seen the success that Hard Knocks and stuff has had with with a small element of that. You've seen the spring training experiment, like you said. Uh, yeah, I want to see Pete Alonzo given wine recommendations to you know Freddie Freeman at first base. Like that's what I want to see. Like I think it's I think it's a fantastic idea to just kind of grow the personalities, uh, the players, and yeah, exactly what you're saying. Uh, and again, I've talked to people about this with like late night and stuff. Uh, I don't know that we're you know, it, it, there. It, I think there's a lot more uh, leeway that the audience gives these things than I think maybe people in positions of power realized. Like people are just they'll shrug. It's not a big deal. Nobody cares. Yeah, if I things think, aren't 100% pristine and perfect in, you know, your grandfather's studio with, you know, the big band and all that stuff. And like, I mean, look at the success of Basis Amero. Like, that's that's the model. And now look how easily they've been able to pivot. Uh, although Trevor Noah has been able to pivot amazingly, too. And, and obviously they come from a, a full-on setup. But, yeah, I think I think, I think, I, yeah. I think it's a super interesting discussion just beyond, like, sports and anything. Mm-hmm. That, like, you know, I, it, I think I actually heard this said once recently, but it's like, we had to remind ourselves that it's okay if something on the internet is like somewhat janky sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything on the internet used to be janky, right? Like there, like ev- like we used to have to listen to music in like real audio files. Like you know, er- internet early internet was janky. 
Yep. And I think we we were okay with that. And then we got to a point where everything had to be like super produced, and like even every social post or whatever, whatever. And I think now you look at things like TikTok isn't you know like the most like wonderfully produced thing, but I think it's shown that you know if you could do something interesting, that people don't care about the quality; they care about the content. And you know, I think I think that applies here. Like baseball people give us good content, and you know we'll be fine with you know, whatever, whatever quality it takes to get that content. Yeah, definitely. I mean, humans doing human things in a human way. That's the, you know, the, the yep. bedrock principle of everything we've ever been entertained by. And, you know, the bells and whistles and, you know, 5k or whatever, you know, doesn't really matter. So no, I definitely, I definitely agree, which is good because I'm terrible at producing podcasts. So this is going to sound probably <laughs> a little janky. So that's, let's just say that that's like an honor janky. Of, of this. Yeah, exactly. A little bit janky. Yeah, exactly. All right, one in the books, completed, done, posted on the internet for people to listen to and hopefully like. Uh, you can find future episodes of the podcast on Stitcher, on iTunes, and on failedastronaut.com. Please like, please review, please subscribe. Uh, I want to thank Mike Oz for being the very first guest on this little project. He was fantastic. You can follow Mike on Twitter, at Mike Oz. You can find old baseball cards on Yahoo Sports. You can find Mike's writing on Yahoo Sports as well. You can find me on Twitter at jtabris, J-T-A-B-R-Y-S. Appreciate any follows, appreciate any comments. Let me know if you like the show. If you don't, eh, let's just let's just keep it quiet. Uh, I look forward to doing more of these. I hope you look forward to listening to them. Bye. Bye.